Uh, so, pleasure to introduce our next speaker this morning. It's Rafi Levy from the Technion uh, in Haifa, Israel, and he'll speak to us on maximal exponents for polyhedral cones. Thank you. So, I'm from the Technion, as Steve said, and I know Avi for many, many years, more than my wife, in fact. <laughs> so, we are all coming from the same, uh, my introduction is the same as Shmuel's because we all have really been influenced by Benny Schwartz, and that's how we went into metric theory. Okay, so I noticed that most of the talks here are on some aspects of non-negativity, and mine is as well. And uh, my talk is based on joint work with uh, Micha Perles and Bichun Tam. Now, some of you might have heard me talk about this subject before, I'm not going to assume it, of course, in fact, even here, but at that time, it was joint works between Tam, and now we have a third person coming in. I'll try to explain it uh, in the middle of the talk. How did Micha Perlis come into the game here? Okay, so here's the introduction here, and this is important here, a very important transparency, because this is the motivation for the talk here. So. Uh, Uh, we have a, a dynamical system here where you have a convex set, a nice convex set C here, and you have an operator A uh, which uh, acts on the space that contains C, and in particular C is invariant under A. Now A can be, in our talk, A will be a linear operator, uh, but it can be more general than linear, it can be uh, affine, or even what is called a projective operator, but in our talk it will be a linear operator. Now I'm going to assume that every interior point, let's say Y here, is mapped to an interior point, AY is also an interior point, and any point in, in C, including boundary points, if you look on the sequence X, AX, A squared X, and so on, eventually will contain a, a vector in the interior. So there exists a natural, a positive number nx, so that a to the power nx times x belongs to the interior. And of course, that later on it will stay in the interior by this assumption here. Okay, this is uh, the setup that we'll have. And uh, then, basically, we will ask what is the worst case for nx? What is the worst, the slowest x to enter the interior? Okay, this is... Uh, quantities that interest us, and then later also we might soup also over all such A's. And then, it, then it will become a property of the set C. So either I fix A and look on this soup, or then I will soup over all such A's. So this is basically the quantities that I'm going to be interested in uh, for some specific C, not in their generality. Okay, so the most well-known uh, Special case is the case that uh, Shmuel talked about. This is ordinary, ordinary that means element-wise non-negative matrices. So here I repeat something that Shmuel mentioned. So now suppose that A is a non-negative entry-wise matrix. We associate with the graph DA that Shmuel mentioned. The vertices are 1 to N. And I join I to J by a directed edge if and only if AIJ is positive. So it is well known 
I mentioned before that A is irreducible if and only if, an irreducible matrix if and only if uh, DA is strongly connected. The graph is strongly connected. By the way, if there's anything that is unclear or you're not familiar with the definition that I assumed you know, please stop me. Okay, so this is a notion of irreducibility and its connection to the property of the graph. Okay, now uh, I'm going to define a key concept uh, which is related to the first slide, and this is what is a primitive matrix. A primitive matrix is a matrix so that uh, for some positive integer L, A to the power L is positive. And is, if you look on the operator theory, if you look on A as a linear operator, it maps every non-zero, non-negative vector into, the, into a positive vector. Okay, now uh, it is clear that the notion of primitivity does not depend on the magnitude of the entries of A, but only on the, on the pattern of the zero positive, uh, where are the zeros in A, where are the, the pattern of the zeros or the graph of A. Okay, it does not depend on how big the positive entries are. And you can phrase it precisely in terms of the graph of A, D of A. So if you take any strongly connected graph, you can talk about the GCD, the greatest common divisor of all the closed walks. So those positive integers, you look on the GCD, and uh, the graph is called primitive if this GCD is 1. Okay, so it's a strictly combinatorial parameter of a strongly connected graph. And it is well known uh, that uh, a matrix, a non-negative matrix, uh, is primitive if and only if the graph is uh, what, the primitive, as, a, as I just defined it. Okay, now uh, I'm going to uh, define another key concept here, and this is a concept of exponent of a primitive matrix, which I will denote by gamma of A. This is the smallest L such that A to the power L is positive. By definition, there exists such an L if A is primitive, and I'm looking at the smallest L. Now, it is clear that, or it's easy to prove that once such a matrix is positive, all the subsequent powers of A are also positive. So therefore, the smallest L, such L is, is of interest, and, and this is called the exponent of A, or also sometimes called the index of primitivity. But I will call it the exponent of A. And this is related to the first slide. It measures somehow uh, the worst case X. Now, okay, maybe it will be shown on the next slide. Uh, here it's uh, actually, I should put this on here. So how is it related to my first transparency here? So this is exactly the case where the C, which I defined on the first slide, is Rn plus, the set of all non-negative vectors. This is my convex set. All non-negative vectors in Rn. And this is also called the non-negative orthant in Rn. And, and A, the matrix A, a non-negative matrix A is a linear operator that maps Rn plus into itself. And if A is primitive, it satisfies all the assumptions in, in my first slide. And the exponent of A really measures what I call the Nx, the worst case of Nx. So this is how, why this is a special case of my motivation in the first uh, slide. Okay, so 
Okay, now uh, the following is a very uh, well-known result due to VLAN. And it says that if you have a primitive matrix of size n by n, the exponent of A, as I defined it, is bounded by this quantity, n minus 1 squared plus 1. And in fact, equality holds here if and only if the graph of A is a full cycle here and with a one extra chord here, joining almost adjacent uh, vertices on the graph. And this I will call VLAN graph. The VLAN graph will play an important role later in the talk. I will not draw it here, but I hope you will remember it. It's very simple to remember, just a simple cycle with an extra edge here. Now, the proof uh, is quite easy. In fact, now when I'm teaching non-negative matrices, I give my students to read it in a book. Uh, proof is not difficult, and it basically follows from us the following result here by those guys here. And it says that if you have in the graph, in this graph of A, you have a, a, a cycle of length S, then you have a bound for the exponent in terms of S. So the, smallest, the smaller S is, the smaller the exponent. N is fixed here, A, A is N by N. And if it's a, small, a short cycle in the graph, that means a small exponent. Okay, so this is, uh, okay, this is uh, something we want to generalize as we go along. But for the non-negative case, this basically answers the question about the exponent, how bad it can be. Okay, this was one special case of the, my introduction of, this, of the motivating problem. Now another case uh, is the following. Uh, oh. See that what is called the critical exponent of a norm space. So now uh, I define the following: you take a finite-dimensional vector space, norm vector space, and the norm standard notation of a norm. The critical exponent for this norm space is the smallest l with the following property. So if the norm of A is equal to 1, now the norm of A is equal to 1, and the norm of A to the power L is equal to 1, then all powers of A have to have norm 1. Now what is the norm of matrix, uh, matrix here? It is an induced operator norm. I hope all of you know what induced means. It's a standard definition of uh, norm on, on the linear operators. Okay, so what it means really here, if you think about it, it is exactly the same as, in this case, it is exactly what we have in the first transparency where the, where the set, the convex set C, now is the unit ball of the norm. It's the unit ball of the norm, because if you think about this property, what does it mean that this is norm one for all M? It means that there, for this to have norm one means there is a, a vector x on, the, on B, on the, on the boundary of B, of the unit ball, so that A, M, X is also on the boundary. And if it's true for every M, that means that, uh, okay, the, this A will never have the property that eventually, for H, X, eventually it will go to the interior. So I'm not making it very precise, but it's very, 
close, it is really what I described in the first slides. But here I also soup over all, over all A, really, because I demanded for all A. And so this is linked to uh, what I did in the first slide. And this was, uh, of course, in this formulation, it is really, uh, has been uh, investigated by well-known people like Yuri Lubitsch, Micha Perles, who is one of the co-authors of the work that I'm doing, and Ptak. Now, some of us know Ptak many years ago. as a well-known functional analyst. And, of course, the answer has to do with the geometry of B. Okay, once, right? Once you have this for all A or whatever, this is depending on the, on the geometry of B, of the unit ball of this norm. Now, I'm just giving, this is only, uh, just to give you an example of the motivating problem. It will not play a major role in the talk later on, but I just give you one example that you can also find in the book by Lubitsch and Belitsky. And in R2, you have an, a norm here. Uh, this is the boundary of the unit ball. I don't want to go into too many details. And it can be shown for, so for, this, for this unit ball, for this norm, the critical exponent does not exist. Or if you want, it's infinite. Now, this is a very difficult quantity, the critical exponent of uh, norm spaces. And just to convince you, uh, they are very little known about it. And if, for example, some, some cases it is known is for the Euclidean norm, uh, the critical exponent is exactly n. For the L1 and L infinity norm, it is also a nice expression. And now for LP norms, which are very basic, LP norms are very basic, uh, it is only known to exist for, it is known to exist for rational P, but for P irrational, it's, even, it's not known. It's an open problem. So it's a little surprising that for such, such simple norms, uh, it is not known whether critical exponent exists or not. This is what I defined in the previous uh, transparency. Okay, now I'm coming to uh, what I really want, which is the major topic of this talk. And uh, we want to... Uh, Consider the notion of primitivity, which I defined before for non-negative matrices, for uh, other type of co for, for convex cones, which are called polyhedral. I'm going to define it precisely. And we want to obtain the analog of the VLAND upper bound, and, and how sharp, if it's sharp. I want to get exactly what VLAND did, including the equality case for a, what is called a polyhedral convex cone. Now, uh, the, the motivation for it, I'm glad that Steve is here. Uh, the motivation came from a question that Steve Kirkland asked in, I think, in the ILAS meeting in 1999. And so he made us work really a few years on it. So <laughs> we worked quite hard on it. And I think now we are on a stage that the, I'm satisfied with what is a complete answer now, I, I can say. So, uh, anyhow, the motivation came from a question that Steve asked uh, in a previous meeting. Now, I have to explain all the, the terms that appear here uh, and uh, see what, you know, what we have done. What is a polyhedral convex cone? 
Okay, so what is, in, if, in case you have not heard what is before, what is the definition of a, of a convex cone, uh, I'm putting a few uh, transparencies to this, just briefly describe the basic definitions here. So, uh, okay, a, prop, a proper convex cone is something that satisfies these five properties. So, first of all, it's closed under addition, closed under multiplication, but only by non-negative scalars. So it's similar to a subspace. The definition is similar to the definition of a subspace, except that here you allow only non-negative scalars. Now, natural properties like being closed, having non-empty interior, it's called also full sometimes, and this just means it contains no lines, it's called pointed. But so the main thing is this one, those two properties here plus some extra uh, now uh, examples of, of, of convex cones are, for example, the, again, non-negative orthant, or the set of all non-negative vectors. And another important example is the set of positive semi-definite matrices. This set, of course, is closed under addition and under multiplying uh, non-negative scalars, and it also satisfies the other properties. But there are many, many examples of uh, convex cones. Uh, they are very important in many applications, including in differential equation, and they, and they appear in many places. Okay, so this is important uh, notion here. And as in the non-negative case, now, uh, when, once you have a proper cone, it induces a partial order on the space, and uh, which I denote by a subscript k here to, to denote the dependence on k. And I say that y is greater or equal to k if and only if the difference belongs to k. And so k itself is a set of all non-negative vectors in this partial order. Okay, now, once we have the analog of non-negativity with respect to K, we have all the other notions, like what is a non-negative operator, primitive, and so on. And this is what I'm going to put down here. So uh, non-negative, just K non-negative just means that everything in K is mapped to something in K. Or in terms of the partial order, you have this. So if you drop the K here, it's just the standard definition of non-negativity. Now K positive, clearly is that if you take a non-zero vector, it goes into the interior by A. A, X is in the interior. Now primitive is now easy to define. Clearly what is the definition? Primitivity just means that some power of A is K positive. Okay, for some L, A to the power L is positive. K positive, K, maps is K positive. And now comes the quantities that we are interested in, because we are interested in VLAND type of bounds. And this is an exponent of a k-primitive matrix A. It's the smallest L, such that A to the L is positive. Okay? The smallest L. Okay, so again, the, the question is, and the question I guess that Steve posed is, or asked is, uh, find a bound for the exponent in terms of the properties of, of the geometry of the underlying cone, basically. And that's what we are going to answer fully. 
Okay, so uh, as in the non-negative case, uh, we have to introduce a graph here, or the work of Bichum and myself used the graph. Uh, Perlis, Micha Perlis, uh, used a little different approach, and, but we use a directed graph here. But to, do, to define the graph, I need to wait a few more minutes, but this is, we want to define a graph here. Okay, so now, uh, I have to, uh, in order to, we are very close now to the statement of the main results, but I need just uh, maybe a couple of more definitions here. Uh, okay, so you have a, a convex cone here. Here is a, the picture of it. And an extreme ray of a proper cone is a ray, so half line. A ray is half line, like you see here, but it's, you have to go to infinity here. It's a ray which is included in K, but if you remove it from K, you are still left with the convex set. So again, it's a ray, but if you, in, inside K, but if you remove it, you have to stay with the convex set. In the picture you see here, you have four extreme rays, uh, the red ones. However, the, bl the black one here is not an extreme ray because if you remove it, it's on this wall here, on this face, on this side, if you remove it, it's not a convex set. So you have four extreme rays here. And another way to look at it, if you prefer compact convex sets, you take a, a cross section of the cone, you cross it, take a cross section, and those will be the extreme points. So there's a correspondence between extreme rays and extreme points of a compact convex set. Okay, so this is an extreme ray, and uh, a polyhedral cone is just a cone, a convex cone, which has only finitely many extreme rays. Okay, so polyhedral cone is a, a con proper convex cone which contains only finitely many extreme rays. Okay, PSDN, the positive semi-definite matrices are not polyhedral. They have too many extreme rays. Now, I will denote an extreme ray by square brackets here square brackets of x, where x is, belongs to the ray, is any point on the ray. So the ray itself is all the multiples of x by non-negative scalars. Okay, so uh, one more notation here. Uh, okay, so uh, from now on, uh, we only talk about polyhedral cones. Whatever I'm saying now is it's crucial to assume it's a polyhedral cone. Some of the definition, one more definition I will make is definitely false if the cone is not polyhedral. So from now on, I restrict myself to cones with finitely many extreme rays. And uh, then we have two parameters here. N is the dimension of the underlying space. I'm talking about cones in Rn. And, I'm, and M is the number of extreme rays. So I have two parameters here, M and N. One measures the dimension of the underlying space, and the other one is the number of extreme rays. And then this family of cones I will denote by PMN. Okay, now I'm ready to start to state the main results here. And I'm going to spend more time on this transparency than on any other one because I think it's, it's a key one here. 
Okay, so here is uh, the, the main results here as, as, uh, summarized in this, on this page here, on this slide. So I, I'm taking a cone with M extreme rays in n-dimensional space and A is k primitive. Then the exponent of A is bounded by this quantity, n minus 1 times a minus 1 plus this uh, additional term here. Now personally, I don't like this expression too much. I prefer to split it into two cases uh, wherever you have this expression is equal to 1 or 0. Mm -hmm. So somehow I like this one better. And so sort of in most cases you have plus 1 here except when n is even and m is odd then you don't have the one here. Okay, now, if you look, what is Villand? What is the famous, uh, the classical Villand bound? The cl classical Villand bound talks about non-negative, our non-negative matrices is the case that M is equal to N. Okay, so, all right, the Villand, the Villand classical bound talks about the case M equal to N. And when M is equal to N, you are always in this domain here. So you exactly recover the, the villain bound, N minus 1 squared plus 1. Okay, so uh, the, in, the original, in the original, when, when Steve posed the question, the bound was much higher than this one, actually. So, but this is now the best bound because the second result is that this result is sharp in the following sense. Uh, there is always a, a cone in, in PMN, N and A, which is K primitive, which achieves this bound. So this bound is not, you cannot improve it, right? You cannot improve it in terms of the parameters M and N. So, so this is as best as you can get. So now maybe I'll just say a little bit here about, in particular, if you heard me before, where does Perlis come in here? So, uh, uh, when we worked on it, first of all, uh, Bichun, Tam, and myself worked on it, as I said, for several years, and uh, we accumulated a lot of stuff here. And uh, we already published two papers on it, and it too much stuff to write one paper. There was a huge amount of stuff, and we already published two papers, and we were ready to submit the third paper. Now, from what you see here, uh, those papers included everything except that this one here that is missing uh, caused us trouble and we could only uh, prove it in some special cases. Uh, and we had, um, of course, there's, there was much, there's more stuff that is not, that is not uh, written here about uniqueness, sir. Uh, I mean, for what case can you achieve the bound and so on? So this is not listed here. But anyhow, we were just ready to submit it when we got, an, I think, an email with a reference uh, of a work that is related to this upper bound, which is use, uses partially ordered sets. And not, we use mainly the graph, as I said, that I'm going to define soon, and the minimal polynomial, linear algebraic stuff, you know, and, and that, that paper had uh, something doing with partially ordered sets, and uh, lattices maybe too, and then, somewhere there, there was a reference to Micha Perles. So Micha Perles, uh, the, best, the guy who knows him most best is Amir Shmuel. And maybe after the talk, <laughs> we'll hear more, more about it. But anyhow, he is noted not for not publishing his results. 
is well known that it does not publish its results. And uh, it turns out that uh, the only reference that to his work is uh, he gave a talk in a conference in, in Copenhagen in the 1960s. And uh, in this talk, he states uh, some of his results, which are exactly on this, without proofs and no papers at all. No papers about it, just uh, some announcement of the results, like sort of something I'm doing now here. And, uh, but it became clear that uh, one has to look into it. And so uh, in, my, in my department, there are two PhD students of him. And so through it, somehow I got uh, <laughs> to his PhD thesis. Now, this was in the 60s. His, his PhD is from the 1960s. So, you know, I got it from a loan from the library the, in Hebrew universities. At that time, I don't know if you even know what Ditto is, but it was, you know, done in Ditto. And already half of it was, you could hardly see. I mean, it goes away with time. But anyhow, it was clear that uh, there's a lot of intersection between our work. So we got into contact with uh, Micha Perles and Bichum uh, came to last in the summer of 2010 to visit me and, and we went to Hebrew University and we discussed the situation with Perles and decided to write. So we didn't submit the third paper and, and, we, and we just published the third paper as joint work with him. Now his PhD thesis is just something Unbelievable, I mean, you know, it's about 160, 180 pages of amazing stuff. And uh, there's a lot of intersections, so it was clear we have, and nothing of it was published, nothing, I mean. And uh, so we decided to write the joint paper. In his, work, in his thesis, this missing piece, which we could only do in special cases, appears. So now it, that closed this, this that closes the cycle, whatever you want to call it, and that's why I'm calling it now in basically in, in finished form, sort of. Okay, so uh, just to say a few more words about Micha, uh, in case you did not, most people I'm sure did not hear the name of Perlis. I'm just curious who heard about him, except of our Israeli here fellows. I assume nobody heard about him, but he, he is really produced a top line of PhD students, among them Noga Alon, uh, Gil Kalai, Lineal, and other people. So he's really produced many, many outstanding PhD students, but does not publish his, his work. Anyhow, so uh, he uses, he does not use what we are used to. You don't see graph in his thesis, or you don't see linear, minimal polynomial, I mean. He uses lattices, lattice theory. But you can see the similarities. Anyhow, this is a background here. And this is how Micha Perles came into the game, in case you heard me talk about it previously. So I don't know how much time I have, but well, I try to explain a little bit now about it. And if not, again, I can supply the, the papers. As I said, there are three papers about it. And uh, I try to explain a little bit about it, at least. Uh, how do, uh, okay, how do we uh, get a graph here into the game? So uh, the, the graph that we are going to associate with, the, with the such a uh, A, which maps K into itself, is first was introduced by Barker and Tam. And to do this, I have to define another notion on convex sets, which is called the face. 
Now, a phase is a very important uh, notion in, in convexity, and I'm, the definition here is definitely only true for polyhedral cones, and it is the fastest one to define for an audience here that is not familiar maybe with convexity. So what is the phase of a, of a convex cone K? First of all, K itself, the whole cone is considered a phase of itself, and the other phases are simply intersection of K with supporting hyperplanes. So you have this convex cone and you look on supporting hyperplanes, which means a hyperplane on, such as the cone sits on one side of it, but intersects the cone non-emptily. And these are supporting hyperplanes. And you take all intersections with K. And those are the faces of the, of the of a convex cone. And now I'm going to define the graph here, which is the analog of the directed graph for non-negative matrices. And the edges of the graph of DKA are just the extreme rays. Okay, the extreme rays. So if you have this cone that I had before, it has four extreme rays, so the graph will have four vertices. X, Y, W, and so on. Now, how do I form an edge? An edge from X to Y occurs if and only if Y belongs to the smallest face of K that contains the vector AX. So I apply A to X, I'm getting a vector AX, and I'm looking on the smallest face that contains AX, and if Y belongs to it, I join uh, an arc from X to Y. Uh, I, have, I have a little example here. In this example here, suppose that, uh, suppose that a is, AX is 5X. So uh, X will only have a loop here. There'll be a loop here, only join X to itself. But if Z, for example, the vector Z is mapped by A to 2X plus 3W, so it's a positive combination of X and W, then you put an edge from Z to X and to W, and to nothing else. So this, anyhow, you can form a graph here, uh, which somehow encodes the behavior of, of A, how A acts on the extreme rays. Okay, and, every, and in our approach, everything, not in Perlas, but in our approach, everything, or most, many important things are obtained from this graph. So, uh, just a few remarks here. Uh, first of all, if, if you go back to the non-negative orthant case, the standard case, the, the, this graph is just basically the standard graph, but not of A, but of A transposed. But you reduce to the standard graph. Now, however, there are dif differences between the, our case and the non-negative case. For example, it, that even if the, the matrix is uh, primitive, this graph does not have to be strongly connected. So it behaves differently than what you're used to in the regular, in the non-negative case. And also, there's another problem is that uh, if you are giving me a graph, I do not know if it can be realized by some A. So in the non-negative case, you draw me a graph, of course it can be realized. But in this case, because the rays are linearly dependent, if you take too many extreme rays, if there are more than n extreme rays for the cone, then you cannot realize every graph. So this is important in, if you want to realize the bound. If you say, can I realize such a bound? So this is different <laughs> significantly than in the non-negative case, where m is equal to n. 
Okay, so now uh, some steps in the proof of the inequality. Uh, I'll be very brief here. Uh, for example, uh, now I, I denote by dA the degree of the minimal polynomial. Okay, so D is a degree of the minimal polynomial. So first of all, if the graph is primitive, you cannot, the graph cannot be a cycle. Now why cannot, it cannot be a cycle? What, if it's a cycle, this having here a single edge going out of x1 means that ax1 is proportional to x2. And here ax2 has to be proportional to x3. So if you take a to the power m, it will be proportional to x1. You go back to x1. So x1 will never go into the interior. Okay, you have this situation, so you will never, and x1 will never uh, enter the interior. So if you have a cycle, is, the behavior is what exactly in the, as in the non-negative case. So you cannot, you cannot have it. Also, you cannot, you cannot have uh, what is called an isolated uh, vertex, namely from every, vert from every vertex you have to have an, an edge going out of it. Otherwise, Ax is equal to zero. If, if there's nothing going out, it means that it's a null vector. And this is, of course, impossible in a primitive uh, case. Okay, and so on. I'm going to skip here. There's some, some basic stuff here. And the outcome, outcome of all of it is that the following now. If you just analyze the graph, you actually get this bound. So you see here you don't have n minus 1, but the degree of the minimal polynomial minus 1. So actually this is better than this bound, because the degree of the minimal polynomial is at most n. Okay, so this actually proves the main result, except when the case when n is even and m is odd, because then we know that you, the, you drop the one, but this takes care of all the cases except this one. Okay, now uh, to deal with the remaining case uh, and the sharpness, one has to look a little more carefully into the graph. Okay, so uh, here, here's what we have now. If you get to the, if you realize the upper bound, remember on the previous slide there was an inequality here. But if you get this bound for the exponent, the graph has to be the villain graph. The graph has to be a full cycle with one extra edge. This has to be. And this is the key observation here. And the next one is now, if you know that this is a graph, if you know the graph is a villain graph, you can deduce a lot of things here. For example, you can deduce that A is, even if A is only non-negative, if the graph is a villain graph, then the, gra the matrix has to be primitive, non-singular, and non-derogatory. But this I mean that the, the D actually is equal to N. So the matrix anyhow has to be, uh, the DA has to be N. And what is more interesting is that A is annihilated, there is an annihilating polynomial which is of this form, has only three terms in it. And uh, I think this uh, special kind of uh, polynomials were also appearing in some of the papers by Steve. In fact, maybe slightly more general when this term is, doesn't have to be only t but can be higher power of t. 
But it's interesting that you have an annihilating polynomial of this form here. How much? Okay, so I think I will... Uh, okay, I will just try to explain why, why do we have, let's say, an annihilating polynomial of this type. So, recall that the graph, in this extreme case, the graph has to be the VLAN graph. So, it looks like a cycle plus this extra edge. Now, uh, okay, now, remember that we are talking about vectors that eventually have, have, have to go into the interior. Now, if you look here, it's clear that the fastest one to go to the interior will be xm. Why? Because already in the first iteration, it will be, axm will be a positive linear combination of x1 and x2. Now, it's easy to prove, I'm not, intuitively, and I'm not explaining it, but it's easy. On the other hand, ax1 goes to x2, and to get to xm, you have to iterate many times until you get to xm. So the slowest one to get to the interior will be x1. x2 will be by one step faster than x1 and so on. Okay, so this is clear. Okay, now what does the graph show me? The graph shows me that axm, as I said, is a positive linear combination of x1 and x2. Now, if you apply to a x1 a m times, it is like going by after m minus one steps you get to here and then you get to a positive combination of x1 and x2, right, because of this. And this you can factor out like this. So on x1, we know that there is an annihilating polynomial which is a to the a minus dA minus ci. And then it's easy to show that on all other ve vectors a, x here, a, it will be the same annihilating polynomial. So this is shows what I said on the previous slide about an annihilating polynomial. So I think, uh, because time is uh, running short, I wanted to explain the proof of where you can drop the one, but there's no chance to do it, so I'm going to skip it now. And I'm just going to go to say a few short words about uh, the sharpness of the bound, attaining the upper bound. So uh, I'll do it quite fast here. Uh, I, I take the simplest case here when attaining a bound is a case that n is equal to 3. So this is not even, this is, is, is odd, so the bound is always uh, 2a minus 1. In, in, the, in the theorem, because n is odd, uh, this is what you get. So uh, now, when, where can you attain it? How can you attain it? So now we fix m. And now, in fact, we can say much more. I can tell you exactly in R3 what are the cones where you can attain this bound, up to linear isomorphism. And I'm just, here is what happens. So I'm, I'm, I'm in R3 now, and I'm taking a cone in R3 with m extreme rays. So there's one parameter of families where you achieve the bound, and the parameter is the angle theta here, which is, between 2 pi of m and 2 pi of m minus 1. I'm looking on this polynomial with trigonometric coefficients. Again, only three terms in the polynomial. And it's easy to show that such a polynomial has a unique positive real root, which is necessarily less than 1. 
which I will denote by R theta. That might be also in your work. But, uh, okay, so I call R theta the unique uh, solution of this uh, equation here, of this polynomial, the, the unique solution which is less than positive and less than one. And here is a family of cones uh, which realizes a bond. And only those, only up to linear isomorphisms, these are the only cones where you can achieve the bound 2m minus 1. So the extreme rays are exactly generated by these vectors in R3. So you see uh, the cross section when z is equal to 1 is in the plane, you see those uh, sort of uh, polar, coordinate, polar coordinates of the extreme rays. And the, the matrix itself, which achieves the bound, is this one. So it rotates in the xy plane in this way. There's a factor r theta, which is less than 1 here. So it shrinks. And I think, uh, and that's it. So uh, this is in R3, in, R, in Rm. In Rn, it's more complicated, but uh, we still uh, can show the result is sharp. Okay, thank you. Well, of course, I was f able to follow it, yes. Uh, yeah. So, was it in his uh, thesis already in this proof, or just was it sort of. Uh, no, in the thesis. No, in the thesis, in the thesis there are proofs. In the thesis, there are proofs, yes. But di different than our proofs. Uh, we use, uh, I think, if you tell a minimal polynomial, at least uh, as far as I remember, when you say it, it did not recognize the word, so maybe the, they call it indifferently, but uh, you know, there's a, the form that algebraists use is that any linear operator has a nilpotent part and direct sum is and so on. So, but minimal polynomial is definitely not the, you know, the graph is not, but you can go, you can translate everything back and forth, but yeah, it still contains proofs. You cannot write the thesis without proofs, but they're not appearing now in the literature, so we were not aware of his work. And so I think if not this coincidence, his work will be nobody will know, but it will vanish in the history. I mean, mm. who was Micha's advisor? And Greenbaum, Branko Greenbaum, as far as I know, yeah. What can be said uh, in the non-polyhedral case? And can any what can? Well, uh, generally, I don't expect uh, what. So, what are the parameters now? You, uh, you fix. I mean, I know that's a question. Okay. So, first of all, I have to stress that what I did is I maximized of all to say the result is sharp. I have to allow to change the k, the convex cone of all cones with m extreme rays. I mean, you, for a fixed cone with m extreme rays, for a fixed cone, it's very difficult to determine the maximum of the exponents of a. I think it's very difficult. You have to somehow, to, so what do you mean now to an infinite cone? Now, I suspect that if you take the Lorentzian cone, the cone which is a cross-section is a unit ball in, in Hilbert space, I'm, I'm trying to show that it is n, the exponent 
is bounded by n. It's finite. But I expect, I mean, if you take the example that I showed with this funny norm, if you take the corresponding cone, they be infinite. It will be infinite. So, so you have to be more, you know, you have to form the question a little more precisely. But uh, yeah, the question is how do you how do you formulate the question precisely? Okay, okay. we'll talk about it later. Yeah.